0: would please turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2 verse 12 we'll pick up at and we're on our third church in the seven churches of Revelation thus far we've looked at the church of Ephesus and we learned that uh, Jesus Christ wants to have a church that loves him they had lost their first love and then uh, we looked at the church of Smyrna the church of Smyrna was a very faithful church under very difficult times of persecution. And Jesus wants a faithful church, and that church got a, an A+. Plus. And it's interesting that the church going through the most difficult time was the church that uh, did so well. Today we look at the church of Pergamum, and we're going to learn that the Lord Jesus Christ wants a church that uh, stays true to the truth. So, as we've been doing in the past, if you'd please stand in honor of God's word, I'm going to read the passage that we'll study out loud and then we'll go back and study it together. Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp, two edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet, You hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who is killed amongst you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. And also you have some there who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I'm going to come to you soon, and I'll war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on it. The stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word and now to the proclamation of it. Thank you. you may be seated. This uh, past week I was uh, by a lake and it had a sign up and it said that you could not keep a walleye out of that lake unless it was 18 inches or larger and uh, otherwise you had to release it, turn it back in. You know, this would have been really handy at such time. This is called a fisherman's ruler and if you can see this, it starts out with an inch being an inch But then you get down here and an inch gets to be like maybe three quarters of an inch and then half an inch. That's a 24-inch fisherman's ruler. And that way fishermen can brag about how big their fish was as as well. So it starts out with the truth of an inch being an inch, but then it's no longer really the truth. I also have a pair of these. You ever see these? These are called liars, suspenders. You put them on. And that way, when you're measuring, you can make it whatever you want it to be. <laughs> the problem is, the house might not look too good when it's done. It may not stand up under the test of time. And, um, you know, I remember when we were kids one time, we were camping, the family at a campgrounds, and down the road, there was a place sold eggs, and our parents said to us, my brother and I, I run down and get a dozen eggs, we came back, and Opened it up, there were 11 eggs in it. And my parents said, did you drop an egg or something? They said, no, no, they had only given us 11 eggs in there. Now, I've heard of a baker's dozen. I like a baker's dozen. That's 13. But 11 eggs, and they call it a dozen. But then again, we could have gone back and we said, hey, there were only 11 eggs in there. Yeah, well, that's a dozen to me. How are you going to argue with that? That's my definition of of a dozen. That's my truth, and you have your truth. Your truth says that a dozen is 12. My truth says a dozen is 11. A baker says his truth is 13. Well, who's telling the truth? But then again, is there such a thing as truth? That's a big question, especially today in Christianity, in religion. There are those that would like to put a whole lot of things into the truth and Call it the truth, but it doesn't line up with Scripture. Scripture gives us the dozen. It gives us that 16 ounces is a pound, we'll say. And we can't put all the things in there that would appeal to us. That's what's going on in Pergamum. Now, as always, you have your outline. It says, who's this to? It's to the angel of the church in Pergamum. I've had the privilege of twice going to Pergamum, and it is the most beautiful, beautiful city. It was in, uh, this time, it was about 200,000 people. It had an amazing library. They claim only uh, second to Alexandria, Egypt. So it had beauty. It had brains. It had bucks. It was very wealthy, and they had buildings they had what was called the Acropolis and it 's amazing there 's a thousand foot mountain you can pull this up on the internet just overlooking the city and up on that was the was the mall of the gods the uh, the pantheon and they had this one uh, an altar to Zeus that that is just huge it 's in the British Museum parts of it today and uh, they had uh, a uh, a big altar there to Zeus, the creator god. They had a big altar up there to to the Roman emperor. They had one to uh, Demeter and um, Dionysus. Dionysus being the god of wine. Uh, Demeter, the goddess of bread. All that you would ever want is up on the hilltop there. And Down in that little town or in that town, there was a little church. Didn't have a big temple. They were the temple. They met in homes, small groups. They weren't very impressive. Can you imagine someone uh, saying to another person, uh, hey, which, uh, which one of the gods do you worship? You say, none. Oh, h- who do you worship? Well, we, we worship Jesus Christ. Where's your temple? Right here and in a community of believers that's not very impressive what 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 does your what would he do for me everything that they claim to do to be your bread he's the bread of heaven to bring your be your joy your wine you know on the way here i was listening to the radio and there's a, a new song out by alan jackson called i can be that one of the lines is i can be the whiskey in your bottle And I laughed at that, and then I thought, you know, there's some truth to that spiritually. What are you looking for in that bottle of whiskey? I can be that for you, Jesus says. But you can imagine, they're down there and looking up. It's so impressive, but it was also very, very immoral. Immoral. You know, this week, uh, someone uh, told me that on Facebook, they got a picture of some morel mushrooms. Somebody was out morel mushroom hunting, but they spelled morels wrong. It said, morals are out. (laughs) That's the truth, isn't it? There's one person I heard said, uh, what used to slink down back alleys now struts down Main Street. Morals are out. And they were in Pergamum. To the Angel of the church that's in Pergamum, a very, very immoral town. From, from who? The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. This particular word for sword, and there are different words, is for a very large sword used for judgment, like in perhaps decapitating a person. Uh, The one who has the sword, interestingly, In Asia, not all communities had what they called the right of the sword to to, uh, give capital punishment, death penalty. But Pergamum had been granted by Rome the right of the sword to kill with a large sword. He says, I'm the one with the large sword. And then uh, there's a commendation. Look at what it says now. I know where you dwell. I know where you live. Where Satan's throne is. Now what's interesting is he doesn't tell him to get out of town. You know, I'm glad I don't live in San Francisco. But you know there's some good churches out there? I'm glad I don't live in New Orleans. But there's some good churches out there. There's some wonderful churches in Las Vegas. And... Uh, Jesus has his people there, but as Jesus said, you are to be in the world but not of the world. And he wants to commend them. I know right where you dwell, right where Satan's throne is. Now, part of that would be, just be Satan really has a foothold in your town. But also that big altar to Zeus, many scholars think he's playing upon that. I know where you're at. Satan has his throne there up on the hilltop. With that altar to Zeus who claims to be the creator of the universe. But this word Satan. Just listen to some of the words in scripture for Satan. You don't think you have an enemy? The very word Satan means adversary. Devil means slanderer. The prince of the power of the air. The god of this age. The prince of this world. The uh, ruler of darkness. Lucifer, the shining one. The dragon. The dragon that ancient serpent, the deceiver, Apollyon, that means destroyer, Beelzebub, prince of demons, Belial, that's the ruthless one, the wicked one, the tempter, the liar, the murderer, a roaring lion, the enemy. We do have an enemy, don't we? And he, Jesus says, I know where you dwell, right where Satan, all that is at, at Well, then, get out of town. No, stay there. You're more powerful than that. Uh, I've overcome the evil one, and through me, you will too. And then he says, yet, this is what I commend you for. Even though you're in such a difficult place where Satan has his throne, yet you hold fast my name. The word hold fast, remember that. We're going to see something else that's held fast. You're holding on closely to my name. You did not deny my faith, my name, my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed amongst you, where Satan dwells. So it talks about Satan dwelling there again. There, um, we're going through a particularly difficult time. It's believed that Antipas was the pastor of the church. And he's called my faithful witness. You know, there's only two places in Scripture where someone is called God's faithful witness. Antipas and Jesus. What a commendation. It's also interesting that the word Antipas means against all. Now, this is true later of a church uh, father called Athanasius who said this. But it's believed that Antipas and Athanasius... Uh, copied it off him, was told, Antipas, remember his name means against all, the world is against you. He said, well then Antipas is against the world. (laughs) Uh, But it says he was killed. There's different words in the original language for kill. This one means was killed violently, right where Satan dwells. Historians tell us that Antipas was roasted inside of a brass bull over an open fire with pipes in it so they could hear him screaming. That was killed violently. He said, you you held fast to my name even when your pastor, Antipas, was roasted inside of a brass bull. (laughs) Boy, what a compliment. What a difficult time to stay true. You know, I assume you've all heard the joke about uh, the Lone Ranger and Tonto out on the plane, and all of a sudden, uh, here come Indians from the north, Indians from the south, Indians from the east, Indians from the west. And the, la- uh, the Lone Ranger looks at Tonto and says, what do we do, Tonto? And he said, what do you mean we, white men? <laughs> uh, Tonto now, or... Uh, is siding with the Indians well they were surrounded by the evil one it says and yet you as a whole held fast to my name did not deny my faith but now there's a complaint in verse 14 but so far so good straight a plus but boy don't you uh don't want you don't want to get that on a report card do you uh, a plus, but. You know, A plus in math, but. <laughs> I have a few things against you. These are the words of Jesus Christ. I have a few things against you. It's review time. You have some there amongst your church, some, a minority, who hold to, it's interesting, he said some are holding on to my name, but some of you there are holding on to the teaching of Balaam. Do you know doctrine has fallen upon hard times? Uh, Doctrine, somebody said, is what sick folks need, and we do. You can't have truth without doctrine, without sound teaching. Paul told Timothy over and over again, Timothy, be sure to give sound teaching. And the word sound, it's interesting, it's, it's from the word hygiene, It healthy, wholesome uh, teaching. But some were teaching uh, what reminded them of the teaching of Balaam. And it says, and it's in the book of Numbers, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons, in particular males, the males of Israel, so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice immorality. What's that that all about? Let me read to you this part out of the book of Numbers. They have forsaken, this is what Peter says about it, they have forsaken the way, the right way, and have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, who loved the wages of wickedness. There was money in it. Jude, they have rushed for profit into Balaam's heir. What was this all about? Well, if you go back and you read it in the book of Numbers, it's uh, quite a story. Where uh, Balak was afraid of the Israelites, and he hired Balaam. Uh, he said, "I'll, I'll pay you a whole lot if you curse the nation of Israel." He said, "God won't let me curse Israel." several times, he says, I don't care what you give me, I'm not cursing Baal, uh, uh, Israel, God won't let me, and, um, but he, you could tell he still wanted the money, so he went, and in the very end, it says that what he said was, you know, you can't curse them, but they can curse themselves, invite them to a party for your gods, and then seduce them, particularly the men, Invite the men of Israel to come to a feast and serve meat that's been offered to idols. Get them drunk, have them seduced by the women, intermarry with the Moabites, and they will destroy themselves, and that's what happened. Later, we see that Balaam was actually killed by the sword himself. What it's saying is, there's some here that are saying it's okay to go up on the hill on Saturday night and party with the heathen. After all, we, you know, we were human and we wanted to try and win them over and then be back down here worshiping on Sunday morning. They were they were adding some inches to the rules. They were stretching the truth to their own advantage. Said, you have some here in the church that are going up there and partying and uh, getting drunk on Dionysus, and Demeter, the uh, bread uh, goddess, and so forth. And uh, and then thinking they come back down here on Sunday morning, everything will be just fine because God is so gracious. And he understands we're all just human. They're stretching the truth. And, um, you know, there uh, is a Christian woman teacher named Beth Moore. I heard her say this once. She uh, was talking. She said, uh, of course, right now I, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. And then she stopped and says, wait a minute. The choir needs to preach to you. She said, I used to sing in the choir. or, or No, I used to be out doing my worst sinning on Saturday night and singing in the choir on Sunday morning. <laughs> well, that's what's going on here. How do they do that? How do they reconcile that? Grace of God. <laughs> the grace of God. You also, it says, have some there who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, no one knows for certain who the Nicolaitans were. There was uh, one of the uh, deacons first chosen the book of Acts. His name was Nicholas. And some believe that he kind of strayed off himself into error and gained a following. And uh, that could be true. Someone humorously said a Nicolaitan is a person that when the offering plate comes around, they lay a nickel in there. (laughs) Lay on a nickel. Well, no one knows for certain except what they believe, and we'll see it in other churches. It's the same theme of following teachings that stretch the truth so I can do what I want to do. There's nothing new about it. In the book of Romans, it says, shall... Paul's talking about the grace of God, and he says, shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound? What's the answer? God forbid. Are we to sin because we're now under grace, uh, no longer under law, but we're under grace? And Paul answers it and says, God forbid. And then in Galatians, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Aren't we tempted to do that? To sing about the grace of God, so merciful, so gracious. Does that mean God doesn't care anymore? No, he says you're free, but not free, not license. It's so easy to use our gracious God's grace uh, to be a license to sin. And Titus says, don't you know that the grace of God leads you to repentance so that you'll fulfill the truth, the law. Well, what's the remedy? What's the remedy for a church that has been tolerant and complicit? He says, you've put up with this. You haven't disciplined these people. You haven't confronted them and told them that grace leads to a particular uh, response. So it's called the uh, uh, re- to respond out of love and gratitude. It's the ethic of gratitude. And trust. What's the remedy? What's the correction? What's the cure? Therefore, repent. <laughs> Pretty, just straighten your face. Repent. Stop it. Stop it. You know, there's. Uh, I can't think of his name now. Some comedian that has a thing on the internet. Just put it in there. Stop it. He sees a psychologist, or he's a psychologist. And the lady comes. He just, well, stop it. Just stop it. That's what the, the word repent means. Stop, turn around, and and don't do that anymore. Get back in the truth. Throw away the stretch suspenders. Throw away the liar ruler, and call it a lie. Therefore, repent. If not, listen to this warning. I will come. Sounds like a parent, doesn't it? If not, I'm I'm coming to the bedroom. <laughs> And you're going to get, I'm going to come to you soon, and I'm going to war with my sword against, and then this this really startled me when I first studied this. You'd think that the next word would be you, and I'm going to, you're going to get it. I'm going to war against you for this, for the church letting this go. It says, no, I'm going to war against them, the ones in your midst that are doing this, With the sword of my mouth, with the truth, with judgment. Why them? And I thought about this. Why would people put up with it? These are their friends. These are their their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. These are their literal brothers and sisters. Maybe their own children. Maybe their own grandchildren that they love. If you don't handle this, if you don't discipline them, if you don't confront them, then I'm going to have to step in. And when I step in, I'm stepping in with the sword of my mouth. We don't want to confront those we love. We're afraid that it it could cause division between me and, say, a, a grandchild or a brother or sister in Christ or literally. Listen to some of the words and other passages concerning this. This is in James chapter 5. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and somebody brings them back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. The loving thing to do is, you're, you're playing with fire, you're going to get burnt. First Corinthians eleven twenty nine. 29 taking communion. Anyone who eats or drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have even died. If we judge ourselves truly then we'll not be judged. Now certainly when I say this this is Uh, When you do a prayer list of people in the church that are ill, you can't say, well, boy, they're all living in sin. But at the same time, if we believe the Bible, if we're weak personally and and sickly, at some point might ask myself, could this be God's judgment on me? Would he literally take me off the earth for this? (laughs) Because I'm a bad example One of my favorite scholars, John Stott, said, if you as a believer are going to go on living in sin and not repent, then pray for an early death so you don't accumulate more to be judged on the judgment day for. That'll take your breath away. What about this one in the book of Jude? Have mercy on those who doubt. And save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear. Hating even the garments stained by the flesh. It's like there's a house on fire. Their house is on fire and you go in to rescue them. Try and get them out without getting burnt yourself. What we do see here is taking advantage of the grace of God and stretching the truth to fit your own desires can have dire consequences individually and for a church. He said, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring judgment upon those people that you love unless you step in and speak the truth in love to them. Well, what is the response? Verse 17, who, who has an ear, spiritual ears, are your ears on good, buddy? Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What do you think the Spirit is saying? To the churches, what's the church? What's the spirit saying to you? I love the fact that it makes it personal. We can't make everybody else do what we believe is true, but what's the what's the Lord saying to you personally? Personally, well, I would say that what the Lord is saying to me personally is, uh, man, by this age, I've got a lot of friends that have gone off the rails. They've wandered off into the air of Balaam or all kinds of airs. The major one today would be what scholars call hyper grace. God's just so gracious. God's just so kind. He is just so loving that he kind of winks at sin. He's like a good grandpa. At the end of the day, his only desire is, is that uh, everybody had a good time. <laughs> is that... God, um, you know, right here in your own uh, state, up in uh, Grand Rapids uh, years ago, there was a guy named Rob Bell that I had some friends that just really into him. And he uh, he went from, yeah, he got the two years, the church from planting, went to 10,000. I attended there. And boy, he's a gifted guy. But then with time, he would say things that I thought, I don't, I don't know that I get that my friend said well you just don't understand it he's smart I don't know what they were saying about me but it just I you know how it's it just didn't set right and I said to this one friend in particular I said you know I think I think he's he's uh getting off the rails doctrinally no 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 you he's just he just says it different and Well, then I was actually glad when he finally came right out in the open and said, no, I don't believe that stuff. He said, as a matter of fact, he went to Wheaton College. He's friends with Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey has taught me more spiritually than any professor I ever had at Wheaton. And I thought, good, now my friends get it. (laughs) The problem was a couple of them, he had led them astray to where they've Went off the rails, too. And it amazes me sometimes to look around and think, um, you know, everybody wants to be progressive. I want to be regressive. One of the things I love about the Church of Christ, ch- Christian church, they said, well, let's go back and try to be as much like it, the original plan here. Rather than uh, we're just getting so enlightened these days. There's a reward for it. To those who conquer That means those who overcome, those who are victorious here, those who have their ears on, they're listening. I will give some of the hidden manna. (laughs) What is the hidden manna? What you need to realize is up on that Acropolis, there was this goddess Demeter that promised you. It was a goddess of grain that give you all the food you ever want. He said, listen, you don't have to go up there. I've got hidden manna named Jesus, right? that will satisfy your soul, make you healthy. I will give him a white stone. Now, again, you got to go back into the culture. What does it mean, a white stone? Well, they have a huge, huge built-in-that-mountain uh, amphitheater, seats thousands outdoors with a big stage, just so impressive. And your ticket in was a white stone that you were given as being a good citizen down there in the town. He says, listen, I'm going to give you a white stone to get into my theater. I'm going to give you a white stone of approval. Other scholars believe it was used in a court of law that if you were declared guilty, they would put down a black stone. If you were declared innocent, then you got the vote was a white stone. I'm, I'm going to give you approval. Um... And I'm going to give you a new name written on this stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Well, I don't know about you, that sounds kind of strange, but it sounds like something I kind of like. And again, scholars debate on this, but what it's saying is that um, that one of the down below there's the uh, the god uh, Asclepius. Uh, it was the healing center where they worshiped a snake, and that's where you have the snake on the pole, the symbol for healing. And um, a snake gets rid of its skin, and it's like resurrection. Uh, And uh, so what it's saying is, oh, and if you got healed, then there was this big uh, entryway that had these white pillars, and you got your name on it sort of like if you go into a hospital today, there'll be rooms dedicated to so-and-so that paid for this. Get your name on a room or whatever. It's a statement that you don't have to go there for your healing. Come to me, and I will give you a secret name that only you and I know, Uh, like a term of endearment. You know, it's interesting. God had a particular term of endearment that he used for the nation of Israel. It's only used I think four times in the Bible. And um, he said Israel you're my. Jeshuron. Or in Hebrew it would be yeshuron. Which means my straight one. My noble one. My plum one. My truthful one. It was his term of endearment. My truthful one. Well Jesus once a true church as well with a new name. Now, it says nobody knows a bit you. You know, I've got one of those. um, I I don't know if you ever studied out what your name means. I got all excited about this years ago. I thought, Craig, what does Craig mean? I looked it up. It means crooked rock. (laughs) Wow, that's impressive. (laughs) And I thought, "What, what were my parents thinking? Call me a crooked rock. Now, between God and I, though, in Psalm 78, uh, twice, it says this. Uh, God says, I struck the crag, the crooked rock, and out came streams of living water. And I can remember thinking, and I think God said this to me, Craig, uh, it says I struck the rock in the wilderness. I'm going to take you into the wilderness, and I'm going to strike you, and it's going to hurt. I'm going to deal with you. But afterwards, you'll be able to give people some streams of living water, and that's sort of a definition between me and God of my name to be used for other people. For Israel, He said, "You are my Yeshurun, my noble one, my plumb one, my straight one." So far, we've looked at this. Jesus wants a truth or a church that loves Him is in relationship with him, that is faithful to him, like in a marriage, and one that tells the truth and lives out truth and stays with the truth. It isn't always easy. They roasted the pastor in a brass bowl with pipes in it so they could hear his screams to teach people that you can create your own definition of a dozen you can have your own truth you know there is no such thing as my truth and your truth there's truth and then there's opinion (laughs) I want to end with this my brother I just talked to my brother my brother owns Clapper Electric down in uh, Raleigh North Carolina and uh, he uh, was going to this one church and it was a huge church and uh but he said he started to hear things that just, just didn't ring true to him. And he said, and then all of a sudden, uh, all the sermons were about social issues. He didn't hear much about the cross or salvation or sin. And so he left that church. And uh, he said he went into this house of this elderly couple to uh, put in a fan. And he said, you can always tell when you go in a house of uh, a customer by their decor, uh, if they're Christians, and he said he saw a lot of Christian stuff around, so he said to this elderly couple, he said, uh, looks like you're Christians, and they said, we are, are you? He said, I am, and they said to him, what church do you go to? And he said, well, I used to go to such and such church, he said, but I quit going there, uh, there. he said, that pastor, he said, that pastor's gone off the rails, and they said, we went there too, um, we actually moved here because that pastor is our son. But we don't go there anymore either and it has broken our hearts. What a what a story. Don't you admire the parents though? They said we love him and we pray for him and we kind of tr- we're trying to have a relationship with our grandkids but we cannot personally go to our own son's church. Because he's creating his own ruler. He's got his own suspenders. He's got his own definition of a dozen. Don't go there. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for truth. Not my truth. The truth. Your truth. The word of God. I pray that we'll stay true to it. I pray that Oakland Drive Christian Church stays true, gets the next pastor that loves you, leads them in loving you, is faithful to you, leads them in being faithful to you, stays true to the truth, and they stay true to the truth as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.